You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Well, you look relaxed over there. Maybe the word is sedated. Maybe the word is tired. What is the word? Not sedated. Okay. No, I with with the uh, with the post surgery damage down there. Going to the bathroom is like the scariest thing next to sneezing. And since Mm. most pain medication uh, of what were prescribed to me go hand in hand with some constipation. I just am not going to run that, that risk. So no, no pain medication, just, uh, just rolling with it. Well, why don't you tell the people? I don't think, I didn't even know surgery was coming up so soon for you until I saw it on your own or your wife's story. So you had hernia surgery yesterday, Monday. Yep. Yesterday morning, finished off my big week Sunday evening and then went to sleep, woke up and went and got that surgery done they found two hernias in there and i don't know if that even really changes anything so they slap a bunch of mesh in there suture it into your own tissue and and then hopefully it just sort of bonds itself in there yeah yeah it's a painful you know it really is this is it's it's funny because people say there's no such thing as minor surgery all surgery is surgery but this is a minor surgery this is I think the most common male surgery out there in the United States, at least. And yet I've never felt this bad after anything. Knee surgeries, everything, huh? Yeah, this is, this, this is day two, or I guess day one waking up. And yesterday I was walking around okay. And then towards the end of the night, I started to really stiffen up and I just got into bed. And this is as bad as I've like physically felt in my life. And I had a bunch of guys tell me this. I had a bunch of guys say, Listen, we've gone through a lot of stuff. The first two days after hernia surgery was the closest thing to hell I've ever felt, which is weird. It doesn't seem like it'd be terrible, but your core just is involved in everything. I'm not trying to be a baby about it, but. Well, no, I mean, you've been through a lot of surgeries and I've talked to you shortly after all of those surgeries and you've been completely fine, I would say, at least from an outsider's perspective. Um, And. And I didn't get a good look. I'd almost like for you to show me your lower abdomen here live on the mic because I got a quick glimpse before we recorded a Race Brain podcast episode, and it's pretty, like, nasty. All right, he's standing up, folks. He's lifting his shirt up. I just just got the nipples. All right, we're going down. So incision one is through the belly button here. Uh, So so I'm looking at a belt. Yep. Holy smokes. So he's got an incision about, what, three, four inches below your belly button, and then another one two inches below that other incision. Yeah. Wow. And if we know anything, like something called the Valsalva maneuver, which is when you bear down and push, like push to go to the bathroom, push to lift weights, flex your core to do a pull-up, to speak, to sneeze, to cough, to laugh. Like you don't realize that your core is flexing nonstop in life until what? Until you have hernia surgery. And prior to it, I got really good these last four and a half weeks of not Valsalving for anything. And I went four and a half weeks without any amount of strength training, no core, no bracing against anything. Mm. Lisa did all the lifting around the house. Nothing unusual. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> but now this this is something different. Like I've had a I've had phlegm in my throat for like thirty hours. I can't get it out because I can't cough hard enough to get it out. So I told you earlier, but I'm not going outside until this heals a bit because I have seasonal allergies. And if I sneeze right now, I think I'm just going to rip in half. I know I'm being super dramatic about this, but I just can't even fathom a sneeze. So describe how it feels because I'm very curious about this because you hear guys getting hernia surgery and some ladies. Um, Maybe in my future, I don't know. But what is it like? How did you describe the post-surgery feeling? The three incisions you can see feel how you'd expect. It feels similar to what my knees were like, where you just know you've been invaded right there. Like there's, it's like mm-hmm. you got stabbed tactically. It, it, there's some, some pain there, but it's to be expected. But the rest of it's the pressure. There's crazy amounts of pressure all over down there right now. And the, I'm assuming where the mesh is, I have this, it's like an impingement. It feels like right now where there's so much pressure and swelling and things were interacted with down there that everything's just pushed against. And, everything's mad how do your guts feel fine normal can't tell anything's going on there your innards i told the kids it felt like a like a mountain biker group or like a bunch of vespas just ran over my midsection like quads down and chest up i'm totally fine it just feels like i got i've just worked over just beat through the midsection and you've been under the knife i know at least three times for surgeries Mm -hmm. on your knees correct i had two neck surgeries when i was a kid neck and you say this is the worst still as far as how you feel the next day or two after yes not even close damn i think it's because you can't limp a gut like a knee i could just lift my leg up in the air and it's done doing its job for the moment yeah just prop it up and do whatever i want but and i know there's so many people have gone through this but it just gives me more respect for them that I think I told you earlier, when in movies where people like get shot in the gut or in the side or they get stabbed a couple times and they wake up in the hospital, they just like rip the the IVs out and get back to to kicking ass. <laughs> Hunter called yesterday. He was the first one to call, as always. He's like, You're helpless? He's like, Yeah, he's like your toddler could come over and I'm like Mira could just work me over right now. I couldn't do a thing to stop her. Mm. He'd just sit there and beat me up. Just I I don't I have a whole new respect for people who play through or live life through torso injuries. For the actors and actresses who rip out the stitches in the hospital beds and go and fight the crime. The Johnsons of the world. Our badass. Respect, Dwayne. Well, let's get to the uh, even more important thing right now, which is your 100-mile week. So, previous Kirk. 101 miles you did last week. Now that's a send off right there. And talk about respect. I got respect. I got respect for that, Bracken. Respect. Yeah. We uh, we had talked off mic. Something like your highest mileage week was 72 or 74 miles. And recently your highest mileage week was 40 or 44 this year. And you went out and broke all the rules. All of the rules. And you over doubled your peak volume this week so how'd it go that's good it was interesting where day one i decided to do it after my first run i think i talked about this last training tuesday on monday Mm -hmm. i got off the treadmill and i thought i should just do a hundred this week let's quantify a big week let's make it a hundred that's always a like a runner's 
goal sometime in their life, maybe experience a hundred mile week. Let's do it this week. And when I left the door for my second run, cause I'd only done five that morning. So I had to go out and I had run at like 1130 AM and I left at three to do 10. Hmm. And when I left the door, I realized it's already over. Usually these type of things, they build for me and it will, I won't die. Can I make it? The payoff's going to be awesome. I got the payoff on my second run. I already knew it. Like, this is it. It's over. I got this. How so? I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I've almost never had a task that I set out to do that it paid off early. So every single run was a reward. I was I was celebrating having done 100 miles at 15 and at 20 and at 30. And they all just felt like, wow, you did a 100 mile week. Good for you, kid. But I felt that on every run. It was really satisfying. When man is facing impending doom, he can do miraculous things, I suppose. Like lift a car off of a baby or... Maybe that's my version. Pick the baby out of the bathwater. It was a hundred mile week. Yeah. And I don't want to over glamorize it. Like I wasn't saying like, it was so easy. It wasn't easy. But going out for the second run made me realize I just have to do this every day and that's fine. But it showed me I have to slow down. For my first three days, I didn't do anything over zone two. Mm. Just dogged it. Couldn't even run with your wife. She runs faster than that. No, couldn't run with her. Yeah. All trail and treadmill for me. So I'd asked you this, um, and I don't know if this was recorded on... We we recorded an episode of Race Brain before this recording. Um, No overuse injuries. Nothing. No more surgeries will be needed because of this 100-mile week. As far as I know, no. Okay, no, good. I kept it easy until Friday. So I did four days easy. And then Friday I did a 13-mile tempo-ish run. And then Saturday I went out with Tim Lambiris. He got his hands on a pair of uh, Hoka Tecton Xs for both of us. That's the new Carbon their way. racer. Yeah. I paid money for them, unlike you, I guess. But I paid a little. Okay. All right. Well, I bought some. Got on them for uh, 70 Come on. 70 bucks that might actually be material and cost of labor yeah 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 he's got a sweet hookup over there so thanks a lot tim he said he tried but they uh limited him to two Mm. so we did 16 on trails with those shoes and they are more forgiving carbon plate than a lot of others are but still 16 is too much on the trails and towards the end the last mile or two i started feeling some rear chain stuff and then the, the last, no, that, yeah, that was Saturday. So that was 16 Saturday after 13 hard Friday, hardish. So I still had to do 16 again on Sunday. Hmm. And uh, my my right leg was just giving me all like the cramp signs from uh, step number one. So I really had one run that wasn't pleasant, but it was pleasant in the way that you're at the end of a big, long week and you know you've earned it. Well, now I'm expecting that carbon plate to be a little more forgiving than a road shoe carbon plate, mostly because it makes sense if you need to have some sort of room to, I don't know, <clears throat> let your feet feel the trail, right? So yeah. it, it looks a lot like the Zanal on the bottom. Like it looks like a, co- a copy of the Zanal from the outside. So I'm wondering if it, and I like that shoe. So I'm wondering if it feels a bit like that shoe, but with the technology of the carbon plate in there. My, yeah, I haven't run in the Zanal, but to me looking at it, just appearance wise and material wise it looks like the zanal and the the challenger had a baby but it has the frame of the challenger it's got the stack height i think of the speed goat oh but it feels lower and it's softer that uh, they have two they have dual 
layers of foam and one super critical, which is always lighter and bouncier, and that one feels soft. Hmm. So, all right. It certainly feels better picking it up. We picked it up for a bit, and it feels much better running faster in than it does running slow in. Hmm. Well, I'm anxious to get my feet uh, slid into those shoes. Very excited about that. They're fun to slide into. Uh, yeah. The ones you put on, you stand up, and you think, ooh, okay. Ooh. So any takeaways from uh, the 100-mile week? Anything that – any epiphanies other than appreciation and joy for a capable body in the moment? Uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a bunch of takeaways. First is that it put in perspective that you can run anything as long as you're willing to go slow enough. Sure. That once you add intensity in, those people doing 100, 140-mile weeks with intensity, that's that's crazy. That's That's seriously impressive stuff. What I did was not – your typical you think about a marathon or doing a hundred mile week because they're out there hitting workouts Mm -hmm. i did one and even that wasn't like a it was a legit workout mostly legit because i'd already done 85 miles that week or whatever it was but Mm -hmm. it was not a interval session or like a nasty hill rep session so i can't imagine adding intensity to that i would have to get much lower to start adding intensity and it made me realize too how much time people have to devote to running. This took me almost 14 hours. I believe it. I had like 13 hours, 13 and three quarters, something like that, hours of running. I didn't do a single, I think I stretched twice that week for a total of 20 seconds. So I did no stretching. I did no core work. I couldn't. I did no strength work because I couldn't. I only ran. I did no cross training and I was at 14 hours of training. So a legitimate high mileage runner who's also taking care of their body and doing the preventative and proactive things they need to do. That's a part-time job. I don't know when you see your kids. Yeah. Well, you just get up at three 30 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. And that's the final thing. It showed me, it reminded me of the power of sleep. Each day I ended up sleeping in later. I took two naps during the week. I, I was dependent upon sleep. I was just a tired person. That was important, though, that if you get sleep, you can do it. If you, if you weren't getting the sleep, it might, might have yeah. been a little more difficult. Yeah, I would have had my body start shutting down earlier in the week. I would have had leg issues start popping. I could feel my muscles weren't recovering if I wasn't sleeping. One day, I just didn't do my PM run because I warmed up for it. I got my shoes on, started warming up, and just thought, ah, it's not even, I should just go to bed early. Hmm. And it, it was why I had to go 16-16, you know, in straight runs the last two days. But it uh, it was worth it because it got me back on track recovery-wise. So, yeah, sleep was invaluable that week. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. And then last question about this, because I think the listeners are curious too. Um, I know you discussed it a little bit, I think, on the previous episode. But um, what's the road to recovery look like now uh, as far as the doctor's prescription? Nothing this week. Next week I can start moving more. Eh, after 20 or 48 72 hours i should be walking around more and starting daily walks but uh no 10 pound limit for two weeks 20 pound limit for two weeks after that he wants no running for four weeks due to the mm. nature of where it is and he wants the mesh to bind no repetitive motion no way no running for how long four weeks four weeks mm. uh no repetitive motion of, of in my hip if you picture like you raising your knee up like you're doing a high knee as soon as that gets closer and closer to parallel and above that puts pressure up on the mesh 
Sure. And so doing it here, there is okay, but repetitive hundreds of reps in a row, which is what running or power hiking or cycling would be or thousands of reps that'll cause it to unbind and shift before it's fully binded to my, my internal, whatever's down there. There's not really much muscle down there. It's so low. So whatever it's binding to it, it, mm-hmm. it needs four weeks uninterrupted. And then he said, after that, I need to move in with interval style like walk run to get back into it he doesn't want it to start off with just like jumping into a 40 or 60 minute run okay and when's the next time you think like let's say you could put you know 225 on the squat rack and go give her a heck like are we talking months and months probably mm-hmm. yeah he said uh after the four week mark i can is it two, 10 pounds for tw- for two weeks 20 pounds for two weeks and then take another two to four weeks to start working back into what you used to do okay so basically like the way you'd come out of off season normally cut that like in half so i'll start with you know range of motion stuff and then body weight and then start moving up from there but i'm gonna the things i want to do with my body the plans i still have athletically to me like what's another week or two yep I'd rather really avoid a setback and bulletproof myself as well as possible so that I can do those things in the future. So I'm going to, I'm going to baby it. Well, to give you some encouragement, I had a stress fracture in my sesamoid and my cuboid and I was told two months off for sure. I got to two months. I'm like, you know what? What's not worth it. I'm going to push it to three months, got to three months. And I said, you know what? What's the rush? I pushed it to four months. And you know what I did at four months? I said, you know what? I'm still not confident I'm going to push it to five months. I took five months off of running, cross-trained in there. But I came back and had fantastic fitness not terribly long after. And I've actually been, I'm going to knock on wood, I haven't had a break in running since. And I would argue that I've ha- I have the best fitness now that I have had in recent years. Mm-hmm. And... I just played it cool, played it slow. And every single time since then, I've listened to my body. I've been a three or four day a week runner for the last two and a half years. You'd have built better fitness than when I was running six days a week. I'm doing it right. Point being is that I don't think there is a rush. I was actually your age, maybe a year or two older when I took five months off. And I'm still Mm -hmm. seeing numbers that I haven't seen for a while. So not that you need my approval for anything because you're a very smart, tenured man. But... um, I very much approve of that, like, no rush scenario. I think we always need external validation that it's okay to to back off at times because yeah. the internal battle is always how quick can I get back to this rather than how right can I make it for when I get back. Exactly. So I don't want to go through this nonsense again. I don't want to do that. Right. So many people have a reoccurrence. They blow out the other side, and that's got to just be – compensation and not bulletproofing that area so i just don't want to go through that there's only so many daggers a man or woman can take once they get to like 35 to 40 yeah when you get taken out for a while eventually like you just realize you can't get back to fitness you've once had like it's actually like physiological feeling impossible at at some point to return to former fitness uh or you didn't surpass it of course would obviously go along with that but you're not there yet it's like if you could do it right you got you got plenty of time. It's just like make sure you do it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since we started this podcast, this is the third time I've gone under the knife. And I can't point to things that I did that caused an injury, like meniscus tear is a meniscus tear. 
Mm -hmm. hernia, probably, yeah, I could have had better core strength. But I can point to things that I wasn't doing that could have helped prevent it. I didn't do anything dumb to cause it, but my prevention game has never been a strength of mine. And it's kind of like, how many times do you have to be told point blank to your face? Yeah, got to do more piddly, piddly shit is the technical term. Yeah, yeah, it's time to embrace that. I look at my mom, who's not missed a core workout every morning for like 40 years, 45 years, because the doctors told her this is how you're going to maintain your your life after your broken back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's time to just say, all right, this is my routine. So no, I'm not putting a, any time crunch on myself. Good. And I, and I don't mean to twist the knife here, but... And I know you're sick of talking about yourself, and I don't want this to be a doom or gloom angle on this all, but... Um, are you sick of this conversation, Bracken? Are you just fed up at this point, or is it is what it is right now? I'm sick of it, as I'm sure anyone who's gone through multiple injuries. You probably can understand how sick of it you get, people questioning your lower legs or your feet. Mm-hmm. Like it's Not to your level. I haven't gone under the knife, and there's a difference there, but continue. There is. But at some point, the public perception of you whether that public is your family or your friends or your your social circle or the people who listen to your coaching and your podcast, the public perception doesn't align with your own perception of yourself. And I think that mine's starting to get drift further and further. It's like I'm standing at a dock and, that, and I got one foot on land and one on the boat and it's mm-hmm. starting to drift farther apart. You know, at some point you got to jump to a side. And I don't want to jump to the side that says, you're not made to do this. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to get caught way too long, try to jump back to the boat and just wind up in the in the middle, you know, soaking wet. I want to be firmly planted on the boat knowing that this is where I'm supposed to be. And I told Lisa that this week. I, I've been, you know, I have my lows, my peaks and valleys, yep. and it's tough sometimes to realize that I look back and realize that the, the last time I had a race of note was 2018. You know, that's depressing. Four years. The last time I had a national series podium was, I think, 2015 or 16. Seven years. No, that's now. That's not even the same sport anymore. We're not even talking about that is a different time period. That's like BC in our sport. Those things are frustrating to realize that this has been a pattern for that long. And then I go out for this run on the lake path. I'm just effortlessly clicking around 620s, 630s, anytime it's remotely runnable on grass, on gravel, on paving stones, and my heart rate's not climbing. And I, I, uh, she called in the middle of it, and we had to get home. I had to get home to uh, my scheduled COVID test on Friday so that I could have mm. surgery Monday. But I said, oh, I wish we had more time because I would just continue and run the whole thing, which is 21. I knew I could just hold this for 21 right now. And in those moments, you realize this is what I'm meant to be doing. The average body just doesn't do that. Like this isn't world-class level performance or anything, but the average body can't take a bunch of time away from something and then go run 21 miles on broken terrain at 630 pace. That's just, that's something that I'm supposed to do physically. Mm -hmm. And so I get that glimpse and now I sit here Tuesday, like I can't even sit up. So I'm just tired of that. I'm tired of having that carrot dangled. That's entire. You realize that carrot's real. And I can get that carrot mm-hmm. if I can just stay upright for long enough to grab it. Well, I think you know, like, this is not what this episode is supposed to turn into, by the way, but I kind of yeah. think it's important. Um, so I'm going to keep just inquiring. Um, 
I think I think the important thing you, you've had an interesting journey in all of this because you came on the scene with very good fitness, and we know that. Um, you were one of maybe five guys that had that sort of fitness in the sport. You were able to take full advantage of that at the time. Take that same fitness and fast forward it today, and now you're one of 20 guys, 15, let's mm-hmm. say, 15 to 20 guys. And now to be on the podium, it takes a level of fitness that only the top guy or two had way back in the day, Hobie and Cody, really. John Albin, maybe. <laughs> Depends how far back you go. But um, point being is that so that's like an interesting place to try to reinsert yourself in sport after an injury when like you were playing checkers and now we're playing chess. And so your comparative is just like so astronomically daunting that you may have gotten, or even through some of these injuries, gotten somewhat close to past fitness. And in 2015, you could have went out there and faked it and ended up on a few big podiums still, or at least showed up to any race and dusted people with whatever fitness you've built even in the last year. But now you just can't get away with it. And this is the sport that you've branded yourself in. And so that's like the tricky thing is it's just like a, it's a different animal now. It's, I mean, how do you, what do you think about all that? Yeah. I think about it all the time because I'm, I like to think I'm a self-aware person. Very self-aware. No one can be totally self-aware, but I like to think that I can be pretty objective about myself. Not always, but so I look back and I watch and I try to think if I didn't know me, what would I think about myself now? And I look and say, well, realistically, you were always the best of the rest. And I think I took pride in that, knowing there was Hobie, there was Cody, there was Ryan Atkins, there was John Albin, there was Robert Killian. You've beaten Atkins, you've beaten Hobie, you've beaten Cody. All those guys on their best day, I wasn't beating. But every other person in the chase pack, I was beating every time, at least in my mind. And I knew that if one of the best guys faltered, I was the person who was going to scoop him up. Mm-hmm. And so all my all my national series podiums were second or third place. I never had a first place because I was just never that guy. But I was good enough, and I was at the time I would have considered myself the person playing chess. I was I was a racer. I was going to get more out of my body than you were going to, and I was going to get more out of my tactics than you were going to. So I knew that I was going to take care of me. And other people were going to beat themselves. And if they did, then I was going to sneak in. So I knew I wasn't that level, but I always just aspired to beat everyone from that level every chance I got because I knew I wasn't that level. Like there's the A level and there's the B level. And mm-hmm. I was like the B plus or the A minus. And I was comfortable in that role. I loved playing spoiler. I never had any pressure on me, but I just always wanted to be the best of the rest. Like when on these race brain episodes where you talk about these are the, this is tier one. These are people who are all capable of winning this race. And here's tier two. I always wanted to be the person bridging that gap. Mm-hmm. And I thought I did a really good job of that for years. But now you look around and I say, I can't run with any of these guys. And then I look back and be like, well, who did I have a winning record against at the time? Let's just say arbitrarily Ryan Kent. Mm-hmm. At least in my mind, up until 2015, I had a winning record against him. Now he's one of the biggest animals in the sport. So part of me thinks, why shouldn't I think I can come back and win any DECA or any stadium I ever want to do? Because I didn't lose to these guys like that. And then he comes back and he goes top 10 and slow without a a tune-up race. And I think, I could do that. And then you Mm. realize, what does ninth place? Does that move the needle? So I just go back and forth. Mm. Part of me thinks, yeah, I belong right back there. 
And another part thinks, do I even have the intestinal fortitude to be excited about ninth place? It's a bit of irony with that intestinal fortitude today. Yeah. Fourth mm. place used to be what ninth place is now. Yeah. And having missed the transition between there, I don't know if I can even stomach that. So I, I don't know. There are times where I look at myself and say, just let me in the race and I'm going to find myself up on the podium. And then there are other times I think, who am I to even think I can run with these young guys? So I don't know. I, it's the classic situation that any person from the previous era finds them in themselves in, except I missed the transition period. Yeah. So yeah. I don't, I don't know, Kirk. I, I know what I'm capable of, but I haven't matched up against Rylan. I haven't max, matched up against Nick. I haven't matched up against current VJ. I haven't matched up against any of these guys, but I do know that none of them are faster than Hobie or Cody was. I do know that none of them are faster through obstacles than Hobie Call was. Mm-hmm. Maybe hanging obstacles, VJ or or Atkins might go through a rig or a monkey bar faster than Hobie used to. But in terms of all the other obstacles, no one gets through stuff faster than those guys did. And I was able to finagle away into racing those guys. So I don't know. I don't feel the top end of our sport has changed. It's just that me being the best of the rest, that's not a thing anymore. Yep. And if I'm not closing, I'm really not anything on course. If you're not closing, you're you're losing five or more spots. Well, and you've seen me on course when I'm not closing. Well, everybody's had those races, but I'm 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 the biggest boomer bust in terms of if I'm in a race versus not in a race. Yeah. And it used to not matter. Because it used to be, I'm in the race, I'm going to take second or third, or I'm not in it. And there's six minutes before the next person comes <laughs> up on course. Right. So it didn't matter. Now it matters. Now, I mean, we look at like those Jacksonville races and everything and Alabama and some of those. And as soon as I lose contention, there's 12 more people who run right past me. Yeah. So I don't know. That's a long answer. And I guess you can see that I don't have an answer. Well, all you can do is what you said, is not rush it, work on fundamentals as you come back, set no timeline. Um, and if you're still feeling passionate about racing or curious where you can get, then you just start putting your toe in the arena. Whether you're ready or not, as long as you know his injury isn't isn't a, a risk, then it's the only way it's going to work at this point. You're not going to come back and step in and podium or even take a top 10 in a big race right away. It's going to be one of those things where you just start showing up. You screw screw what other people think and go to the Indiana Super and screw what people think and go to Austin and have a race weekend. I mean, heck, that's half where my mind is at, but that's way ahead of ourselves. Um, I want to know what you're learning through all this, Bracken. I want to know, like, have you have you learned? Are you learning anything, like, about yourself, about the sport, about any anything that's popping out to you? Two things have cemented themselves. I guess three things have cemented themselves to me. Okay. The first is for the last two years, I think, is the first time in my life where I have a proper gauge of time passing. Okay. We all, maybe not all, but we all start out impatient with time. If someone's, when I was 25 and there's a race and it said, well, why don't you just skip it and do it next year? That next year, I couldn't even fathom how far away that was. Or if someone, if like the first time I broke my toe and I needed to take six weeks off, I couldn't fathom six weeks away. 
mm-hmm. when when we were talking about investments, I couldn't fathom a 15-year investment or 30-year mortgage. It was just the time perception did not exist for me. It was in the moment or short-term right around the corner. That's all I could really fathom. And now someone will say, now I know this will take a while, but this is going to be like a six-month process. I'm like, yeah, that's going to fly by. I don't mind that. So that sense of time, I don't know if that's aging, if it's going through surgeries, if it's watching kids grow up. One minute they're one year old, the next minute they're nine. Like, I don't know what it is, but my sense of time is finally uh, in balance. Okay. And that doesn't, that may not sound important to anyone who hasn't had it yet. But now I look at what's four weeks, what's eight weeks, who cares? That's going to be, it's going to go by so fast. Uh, the second is that, it is fully confirmed to me that I am only interested in things I'm good at or that I can improve at. So why why have I felt the call towards ultras recently? Because you can improve at it and you've had success, yeah. It's because I've had some success there and I can get a whole lot better. But if I went out and took 20th, that wouldn't do it for me. So reassessing what do I want to do in Spartan, it's really what level am I going to be able to do it at? If I can come back in and fight for a podium, Spartan's going to light the fire for me. If I'm coming back in and fighting for 10th, I'm probably not going to do it. I'll do my regional races. Decafit Stadium still look like something I could probably compete with the best of them. But I finally just accepted the fact that I either have to see room for improvement or have success. Otherwise, I'll find the next thing. For me, it's not going to be leaving endurance sports or running. I love that stuff. But in terms of what race style I'm doing, I'm just going to keep doing whatever excites and gives me chance for success and personal growth. I'm not going to come back and bang my head against the floor, the door, the ceiling, whatever the expression is, for two years in a row trying to go out and run altitude beasts. That's That doesn't move the needle for me. So, mm-hmm. And then the third is that I don't need any of this. It's been one of the most freeing experiences was going through two knee surgeries and now this and realizing I haven't my biggest fear used to be that I'd miss a series race now I've missed four years of series races and you know what's happened my life's gotten better like our finances are better because I haven't been solely obsessed with racing at the exception Mm -hmm. of everything else our marriage is as strong as it's ever been my relationship with my parents with our kids those things are all better. So I've realized that my identity as competitive athlete wasn't needed and it wasn't as important to anyone else as it was to me. I get recognized as much at races now as I did in 2013. And I haven't run a race in three years, basically. Mm. You know, so like it didn't matter. People didn't care. They didn't stop caring about me because I couldn't make a podium. And that was important. I think every athlete needs to have that point where they can't do what they are known for and then find out if there's anything waiting or not. I find out, I found out there's things waiting. So things like this, although not ideal are less, uh, less catastrophic potentially knowing that there's other life fulfillment outside of it is what I'm understanding. Now training and racing feels like a treat. Yeah. I, after my first one, I felt so much pressure to try to rush back and get into shape so I could try to scratch and claw and regain a spot in the sport. Now that the spot in the sport's gone, I just feel like fresh air. Now, Mm -hmm. if I want to come back and choose whatever race I feel like to get back to, it's going to be really fun to do. But if I don't choose a race, if I just choose fitness and bulletproofing my body, 
at some point a race is going to excite me and I'll jump into it. And that's going to be really fun. Mm-hmm. But the pressure of racing is absolutely non-existent now because it no longer has any bearing on my day-to-day life. Yeah. So this, I feel like this is sounding like a retirement talk. No, I don't think so. But it's so. the opposite of that. I feel like it's a rebirth talk. Like from the age of five until 30-ish, every second of every day revolved around trying to be the best athlete I could ever be and probably for external reasons. I mean, I was a four-sport athlete for 15 years and then a one-sport athlete that dominated my life for the next 10. So I'd never had time to do a way to do anything else. I didn't know anything else. And I finally have, and it's now I can do it for whatever reason I want. It's got to feel pretty good. I've said this before on podcast episodes, but as unfortunate as it is to be in your position, I still think guys like you sometimes, once you've been through pretty tough trials and tribulations, we had a great conversation with say Tanis last week about trials and tribulations. Um, Maybe, maybe, maybe we're the lucky ones. Maybe you're the lucky. Maybe you're becoming one of the lucky ones in the sense where you have invaluable perspective. You've been forced to grow in other ways and explore other avenues of life, which ultimately make you a more complete and whole person. You gotta, you gotta think that you know you can make anything happen for a reason, right? Like this happened mm-hmm. for a reason. If you're one of those people who make things happen for a reason, and you're just one of those people, man. You feel your cup's going to be filled no matter what. It just depends what you choose to fill it in. I've been finally at that place in my life the last few years, and it's very comforting. Very comforting. And I've seen that with you. Yeah? Yeah, I've been able to see that. It's not every day that you say, well, look at how comfortable Kirk is. But the way you talk about races and runs now are ways that I couldn't have imagined talking about them in the past. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a... I think you can imagine it. So what yeah. is um that's this is so here's the deal by the way. Bracken last week was traveling home from his trip. And then this week we typically record our Tuesday episodes on Mondays and uh Bracken was under the knife and then sedated heavily. So we got another shorter crammed in training Tuesday this week because of the circumstances. But um last thing I want to ask you here is what are we going to fill our cup with in the meantime? What are we what are we filling 14 hours worth of space with? What are you going to do? Honestly, today it's hard enough to focus on not like just crumbling into a mess. <laughs> you just want to be able to like poop without fear. Yeah, I want to be able to poop. <laughs> I want to be able to sneeze. Mm. I want to be able to just lay down. That sounds nice. I don't know. It's I'm what was me right now. Maybe not what was no, me. No, yeah, I'm I'm a, me- I'm a little melancholy. I've I've steered you heavily in this direction. This falls on my shoulders, but it's worth. But it's okay. I, you said you didn't want to talk about yourself and all of this a couple of times in recent episodes anymore. You're like the same old freaking story. People are sick of yeah. hearing it, but I think we got to put a bow tie on this for you. So I do have a plan, Kirk. Okay. The first is that if running truly starts at the feet and the hips, can't do anything about my hips right now, so I'm starting with the feet. So one of the only strength exercises that I can do for the next month that does not require any sort of Valsalva are calf raises. Seated, maybe standing? Yeah, starting with seated and then going to standing. And I'm going to be doing 
basically like bar class with just my calves. Cute. And I'm going to be barefoot every second of every day. And I'm going to work my feet, ankles, and calves in every way possible so that when the next step of the chain is released, I can start working on that and build myself from the ground back up. Uh, we haven't talked about this, but I there's something wrong with my ankle. And carbon fiber shoes have um, exacerbated it. And the sock knee endorphin pros in particular are notorious for making people's ankles hurt. Oh. The speed does for some people. I don't know if you felt, felt great it, today, but I didn't really put two and two together until my brother mentioned it when we were in Ireland. And I was like, oh, that's that's why it's getting worse. Because I'd go weeks without hill work or rolling my ankle or anything, and they they wouldn't get better. Um, I always hmm. have some residual swelling around my tendons and ankles and the front and side of my feet. And this will be a time to start working my way back through that. So my only focus other than heel for the next two to four weeks is working on my feet and my calves. I love it. And my stride deteriorates, as we both know. And I think some of that stems from um, I'm not naturally a midfoot striker. I'm a heel striker, but I can run my optimal stride for a bit and then I fade. And I think by focusing on my feet and my my ankles and my calves, I'm going to be stronger through there and be able to just have better, more sustainable and stable form. And then I'm going to move up into the hips and the core and really target that. And then by that point, I'll be back to lifting, but making sure that it's, you know how I am with lifting. I bro out for a little bit and then I get away from it and Mm -hmm. trying to, to approach this the way my mom approaches fitness is my everyday routine starting that now. Yeah. So that, that, that's what my plan back looks for. I, I, obviously I didn't mention a race. I didn't mention running. I didn't mention mileage. It's, it's almost like I'm not giving up on my racing and my running, but I'm going to do it through the lens of my forever fitness now. Like what does my body need so that I can be active at 60 and 70? So setting those parameters now within the confines of be a dynamic force on the race course if I ever get back out there. So that's that's that mentality I'm trying to bring. Yeah, your mom's a good example of that. And it's not like she's doing anything earth uh, shattering or groundbreaking with probably what she's doing, but she's showing up for herself every day doing maybe it's only three minutes of stuff, right? But mm-hmm. instead of ideas of grandeur with the workouts, maybe it's just like that non-glorious maintenance work and a little something is better than nothing and keeping that well, mentality at all times. Yeah, you are. I like it's going to sound a little douchey, but I'm going to get ripped off any work I do. True. I'm going to put muscle on with anything I do. So why not choose the things that are going to allow me to be active with grandkids? Because those are the same things that are going to allow me to be healthy enough to race. Yeah. You know, I, I'm lucky in that I'm a responder. I come around quickly to things. You know, I worked on a high rock stuff for a couple months and my muscles grew. Not everyone has that happen. So mm-hmm. taking the douchey side out of it, I, I'm going to be fine no matter what I do. But one version allows me to be fine when I'm 70. And one version means that I'm going to keep feeling these kind of things throughout the rest of my life. Yeah, that's fair. Those are some good realizations and you're not realizing them too late. No, but we can't be having this conversation many more times, Kirk. Listen, I thought I've made a number of correct decisions when things haven't been going right with my body at times, truly believing I have erred on the side of caution or I have 
um, allowed my body the rest it needs only to end up injured inevitably. Like there's things that you can't calculate for. And as much as we like to, to think we can, uh, the sport of endurance training, running in particular with how impact driven it is, this is a damaging sport on the body and stuff is going to pop up whether you are perfect and have all the, um, you know, PTs and coaches and everybody at your disposal or not. Like it's inevitable in this sport. And it's just like, maybe when it happens next, it won't be as severe or as catastrophic mm-hmm. or it will be less frequent because it's still going to happen. Just a, what and if and how bad and how often. That's how I feel about yeah. it at this point anyways. So yeah, bulletproof is not the correct term. Well, it's good in theory. But avoiding the avoidables. Yep. So I guess to put the bow tie on it, if I had to be targeting anything, I really liked the way that the last two knee surgeries went, which where they culminated in Tennessee. Oh, because that Tennessee mile forces me to do the things like if you're ready for uphill and downhill pounding for six to 12 hours, you've had to do a lot of the little things right. So if I had to guess, I'd imagine that this fall I run the Tennessee mile and I do a stadium race. Love it. So that's probably where you'll see me next, but who knows? You don't want to come down to to a Florida central beast race. I love going down there, getting it in. We'll talk later, but yes, we will. Well, man glad the surgery went well i gotta go like always i feel like lately (laughs) gotta go uh gotta go pay off that lake house yeah well that 35 minute commute into the gym from here is what really eats into the time now so yes it does um all right brother well good seeing you again yeah it's uh my younger brother dirk you're actually talking to today for those of you who don't know yet kirk got a makeover and it's stunning I went to Great Clips. Really? Oh, I don't. Listen, I'm not as high maintenance as you think. This may look put together, but this is a Great Clips haircut. Yeah. Little little clay goes a long ways, Bracken. I don't know what that means. Well, that's okay. It's better that way. As you can probably guess pretty easily, I don't use a whole lot of hair product. Uh, yeah, I've guessed. Yeah. Okay. I could babble forever, but we got to go. So um, Friday episode. We'll see you folks for that. See you soon.